And everyone said, and everybody said, isn't it good to know that you're a child of God? We're no longer slaves to fear, but God has rescued us from that, and he's given us a new life and uh, a new hope and a new identity, and we are his children. A couple of things I want to share with you this morning. First of all, it, um, today I encourage you as we begin a new opportunity of praying for our city. And there's packets available today. I ask you to join me and be a prayer partner for our city. All this involves is, is that you would take a packet, that you would take a distribution list, the name of family homes, and you would just spend one day, take one family's name, and on one day during the week, pray for that family do that five days and pray for those families, for God's blessing on their life. And then the next week, there's five other names. The next week's five more. The next week's five others. And you're praying over them and asking God to bless them. They don't even know about it. We're not tooting our own horn about it. We're just saying we're praying for our city and people by name. And then during the course of that month or two that you're praying for them, if you just write a note, don't have to sign your full name. Just write a note. Say, I've been praying for you, praying for your family, asking God's blessing and favor. We'll give you a template of what to say. And uh, while you don't know me, I've been praying for you. Our church has been praying for our whole city. And then just sign your first name if you'd like and uh, send it to them. And uh, watch and just let them know that God loves them and we're praying for them. Will you do this with me? John and I are going to do it together. <laughs> Will you do this with me? Yes. And then I ask you to pick up one of those packets in the foyer today, and uh, let's be on mission. Listen, if we do this, then this gives us an opportunity to cover every house in this city this year with prayer. And I believe that God will honor that as we do that. Amen? Amen. We'll uh, praise the Lord. Then also today, I invite you to open your Bible and find with me Acts chapter number 10. That's where we're at today in God's Word. Acts chapter number 10. I hope you're, you have your copy of God's Word. and You'll follow along with me. Acts chapter number 10 is where we're at today. Oh, by the way, inside the bulletin, you'll find under today's events, on the inside of the bulletin, you'll find a little thing that says, Discovering Church Membership. You're invited to that today. It's a big deal. It's important. I would love for you to come to our home, Christy and I's home, this afternoon, and uh, we're going to meet. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about what it means to be a part of the family at Bethel and uh, an introduction to our church. So if you're a new member, a prospective member, you wonder what it's about, what our church is about, come and spend some time with us. We're also going to have a meal afterwards. Christy's cooked. It's going to be fantastic. And so come this afternoon and uh, to today, today and don't miss it at our house. Our house is 233 Michael Drive, all right, in Troy. I would love for you to come. And Alicia will be out in the foyer with the packets and distribution, and she'll be glad to tell you about what time and when and where and how to get it to our house, all right? And so she'll be glad to explain that. And that's today. All right. Now, you have your Bible. Look with me 
to Acts chapter number 10. Great passage of Scripture. We've been looking through the book of Acts together, walking through it and preaching through the book of Acts. And we're talking about the ministry of the resurrected Christ, that Jesus, after he is risen from the dead and ascended to the Father, is still working in this world. How many of y'all believe that Jesus is still alive and working today in the world that we live in? And so if you look with me to Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse number 1. It's a long passage today, so follow along with me, please. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while he, they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as what this vision that he had might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering this, the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you 
to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he'd called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter entered. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I, too, am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how it's unlawful for a Jew to associate or to visit with somebody from another nation. But God's shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here. We're in the presence of God to hear all you've been commanded by the Lord. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what's right is acceptable to him. For the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, now anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went out doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We're witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. But they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the appoint, one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard this word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. 
May God bless the reading of his word. Father in heaven, speak to us today through your word. We want to hear you. We want to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Quickly today, as we look into this passage of Scripture, the title of this message is, Welcome, the Door of Salvation is Open for All People. Folks, in every country, there's prejudice. There's ethnic or racial barriers that exist and separate people. There are language barriers, racial barriers, and religious barriers. And all of these barriers hinder us from communication and trust. And we've missed out on the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God and the love of God in Christ for all people. When I minister and serve in other places, it doesn't take long for me to figure out that there's still racism and there's still barriers and there's social caste systems that separate us one from another. In Romania, even where we go, there's prejudice toward Roma or gypsy people. And there's a hatred and an underlying disrespect of them. And they, I heard one Romanian believer say, a leader in a church, that he'd believe that no gypsy people would ever really be saved. And as I pressed him on this, he says, well, I don't think they can be saved. And I said, why? He said, because they don't have a soul. Well, what kind of attitude is that? It is a prejudice. In Bulgaria, I ran into the same thing about ethnic gypsy people. And some of the leaders of the church would make fun of them and tease of them, which revealed in their attitude, their attitude against these people. I heard a story that I often hear, I've heard here. And it was just a joke, but it wasn't a joke. It revealed their attitude. The joke was this. You know how you can tell when a gypsy's lying? His lips are moving. It's not funny. This is from the evil one that closes our eyes and makes us think that somehow some people are beneath needing the gospel of Jesus or that God doesn't love that sect of people. I'm telling you, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the outline of the book of Acts in many ways. And the Bible says, you will receive the Holy Spirit when the Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Judea and all of Judea, Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And we see this in the book of Acts, in chapters 1 to 7, that the gospel is being proclaimed in all of Jerusalem and Judea. And in chapter 8, we see the gospel is proclaimed in Samaria. In chapter number 9, Saul, on his way to Damascus, saved on the Damascus road. And that God's Spirit is poured out in Samaria. An Ethiopian man is saved on his way back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. In chapter number 9, in Lydda, Aeneas is saved and life transformed and Dorcas is raised from the dead and many scores of people come to faith in Jesus Christ that leads us 
Luke is showing us how God was opening and expanding that the gospel would be heard by all people. And in chapter number 10, glory, hallelujah, Gentiles, that's us, folks, are welcomed into the family of God. Now, what are some truths that we learned from this today? Number one, God prepares the heart of lost people to receive the gospel. Do you all believe that? He was preparing Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was living in a place called Caesarea. It was on the coast and on the Mediterranean Sea. It was the administrative capital of Judea, of Israel. It was a Roman city. It was a harbor city. It was built by the great architect and builder, Herod the Great. There they have a theater, not only a theater, government buildings. Uh, some who have been with me to, on, on trips to Israel. They even have a large hippodrome where they would uh, have horse racing events. And there he was a centurion, this man Cornelius. He was a part of the Italian cohort. That's a group of 600 soldiers. And he's a commander of a hundred of those. Ten cohorts make a legion, 6,000 men. And so there stationed was the Italian cohort, 600 soldiers, and he's one of the commanders. He's well respected among the people. He's an important man in an important city. Not only is Cornelius that, but the Bible tells us he was a devout man. It means he was a man of prayer and a religious man. He was a generous man. He feared God. He did good deeds among the people, but he was a Gentile. He was not a part of the Jewish nation. He was not a proselyte. He had not become a Jew, but he feared God, and he was serious about his faith, and he cared about other people. But still, there's this huge gulf between Jews and Gentiles. There's this twisted doctrine of election that had... Uh, come into Jewish thinking, that they were the favorites, that they were God's chosen people, and that God didn't love any other people, and racial pride and hatred, and they despised Gentiles, and they called them dogs. They were to be separate from them, and this was part of their teaching. They were not to hang out with them, because they're unclean people, we're clean people. They're unrighteous people, we're righteous people. They're lost, but we're saved. We are God's favorite people. The Gentiles were considered to be unclean, and you couldn't associate with them. You didn't eat meals with them. You didn't stay in their homes, and uh, you didn't develop close relationships with Gentile people. Jews were clean, elected by God, separated to be his people. But God was working in old Cornelius' heart. And it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the traditional Jewish hour prayer, and he's seeking God in prayer, and an angel of the Lord appears to him in a vision. Now, he's got his eyes fixed on him, and he's in total awe. I think he's absolutely scared to death. How would you like to be praying, and all of a sudden, a ginormous angel of God is standing there in all of his power? He's just looking at him, frozen at that moment. Finally, he said, what, what is it, Lord? What do you want me to do? He said, your prayers and your charitable acts have ascended into heaven like a memorial before God. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to send up the coast to the port city of Joppa, about 35 miles away. 
And there you're going to find a man, and his name is Simon, called Peter. And he's staying at another man's house, who's also called Simon. He's a tanner, and his house is by the sea. So immediately, he calls two of his servants and tells them everything that's happened. And one of his devout soldiers, and said, make your way to Joppa. And they take off and make their way there. You see, God is working and preparing those who are far off to be brought near. God is preparing this Gentile man to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who were lost so that they might be saved. Did you know God's at work in this world helping pe preparing people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Helen Keller became well-known throughout all of America and the world. Very famous American. She impacted so many people's lives, understanding about disability. Helen Keller was born blind, not only blind, but deaf, so she could hear nothing, and she could see nothing, so she couldn't speak at all. Many of you know her story in a the play and book, The Miracle Worker, how her family hired a woman to come and be a teacher and tutor and governess over her to help bring discipline in her life and see if it was possible for her to learn anything. She was incorrigible as a child, and her family had helped contribute to that. So this miracle worker, Ann Sullivan, began to spend time with her. Finally, she had to get her away from her family and try to teach her. She was trying through touch to make the symbols of letters and words that she would feel them and identify it with a reality. What a breakthrough. The moment she realized that water was water and that she could say water and then Helen could sign back water and all of a sudden she knew a name for something and it began a learning process that was unbelievable. You know, later in her life, she even learned to speak. It was a true miracle. Hmm. The story's told about when she first heard the gospel. Somebody took time in that young girl's life to tell her the gospel story in her hands. And when she heard the gospel story, that God had shown himself in Jesus and revealed his love for us, Helen's sin wrote, put back in their hand, so that is his name. I knew, but that's his name. Because God had already been working in her tender heart. I'm telling you, my friends, my God's a sovereign God that loves all this world. He's preparing people for the gospel of Jesus. Some years ago, there was a team of our folks going out and visiting on a Tuesday night, sharing the gospel with others. There was a team that went to a house and knocked on the door. And when the man opened the door, they just was going to neighborhoods, meeting people and talking to them about Christ. This man opened the door. And they said, we're from Bethel Church, and we're just out visiting people and talking to them about the Lord. And 
asked if we can pray about any need in your life, your heart. The man looked at him and said, come inside. And they came inside. There were eyes welled up. He said, who told you to come to my house? They said, nobody told us. Then he said, I prayed today, Lord, if you can hear me, send me a sign because I need help. And you knocked on my door. God's at work in this world, changing lives and preparing people. He not only prepares Cornelius, he prepares those to receive the gospel, but God also prepares the messengers to proclaim the gospel. Amen? In verse number 9, you notice in the text that here is Peter. Now, Peter's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and it's about lunchtime. I could identify with Peter, can't you? He goes up on the rooftop, and the house is right by the sea, and he's hungry, and they're down below fixing a meal. And Peter drifts off into a trance, like a dream, and in that trance, he sees like a sail or a sheet, this cloth held by four corners, lowered down to the earth, and it's filled with all kinds of animals. When Howard was talking about the animals that they hunted in the jungle, I thought, some of those are unclean animals in my mind. And he says, rise, kill, eat. And he says, never, I've never eaten non-kosher, unclean food or common food. And he says, don't call what I've created common or unclean. And so this happens three different times, and Peter is wondering in his mind what this might mean when, at that very moment, there's a knock on the door, and some men say, is there a man in this house by the name of Simon called Peter? And so this commotion's going on downstairs, and then the Holy Spirit says to him, these men knocking on the door, I've sent to you. God was preparing, oh, Peter, to preach the gospel to these Gentiles. And so Peter's wondering, well, what does this food thing have to do with the whole thing? I'm about, I mean, are you trying to tell me about what my diet ought to be? No, he's trying to teach him about his attitude, about judging those who are clean and unclean. Amen? This is what happens. Number one, God confronts us about our prejudice. We have prejudices in our heart and in our mind. And God confronts those prejudices and helps us to see people as his people. Amen. Secondly, he confronts our self-righteousness. You think that you have earned or deserved your right, a right relationship by God, with God? You have not. You've been saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of Almighty God. Nobody can work or earn our way into heaven. Even old Cornelius could not earn or work his way into heaven. He gave alms. He did good. He was a devout man. But God chose. God said, no, that's not good enough. Cornelius, I know that you're seeking me. But Cornelius, you need to be saved by grace through faith. By the word of the cross, the preaching of the gospel, men and women are saved. This gospel is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There's no other way that we can be saved except through Jesus Christ. 
You don't earn or work or deserve to go to heaven by your righteousness. I don't care if you grew up in a church. I don't care where you went to college or university. I don't care how wealthy your family is. I don't care what your politics is. You can't work your way to heaven. I don't care about all of your good deeds. It won't get you to heaven. The only way that you can be saved is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for all of our sin. This is the only hope of all of mankind. John Wesley was, in 1738, was, he was a minister. His father was a minister. He had been a professor. He had been a foreign missionary. He had been a preacher. But there was no assurance of salvation. It haunted him in his heart. He was sitting in a Bible study, and a man was reading in a small group an introduction to the book of Romans written by Martin Luther. And as they listened to it, all of a sudden, it was like he understood that it's by grace and not by works. And it was by God's love and grace and not by anything of our own that we are saved and secure. And he said, my heart was strangely warmed. And God saved him that day. Listen, all of us come to the Lord the same way at the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. He confronts our doubts and fears. He confronts our doubts and fears. And he said, get up, Peter. Go down, Peter. And you go with these men, Peter. Stop being favorites. Stop distinctions. Stop this clean and unclean business. Wow. The men spend the night with Simon the Tanner. Now, that's a little bit of a breakthrough because they're Gentiles. And they stay in the same house that night. The next morning, they make their way. They make their way to Caesarea. Let's that brings me to the next point. God sets up divine appointments for evangelism. Do y'all believe that? He sets up divine appointments. He was directing Cornelius. He, Cornelius directed his servant and soldier. The Holy Spirit's directing Peter to listen and to go. God is orchestrating all of these things, opening and warming hearts for the gospel. God is at work. Now listen to me closely. Listen. God's still working today. He is setting up divine people appointments. People, God is working in people's lives. Their hearts are broken. Their hearts are aching. They're going through trials and tribulations in their life, trials in their marriage, trials in their family. Trials at work, trials in life, a longing, a brokenness, a loneliness. Men and women are praying, dreams shattered. And they're saying, God, is there any hope for me? Listen, God is preparing people to hear the gospel. We need to share it boldly. Amen? Amen. Some years ago, Many years ago now, I had the opportunity to lead a young man to Christ. His name is Ricky, Ricky Shaw. Ricky was coal miner, worker, laborer, hard, rough man, alcoholic. He got saved. God changed his life. He's so excited. I spent time with him trying to disciple him, encourage him in his faith. And his sister was a high school student, and uh, she's about 17, and 
she came home. She told her mom and dad. She said, I'm going to have a baby, and I don't know what to do. I've made a mess of my life. She was so ashamed. And so Ricky went over to visit with her, and he, he called me, and he said, Tim, I went to see my sister, and this is what's going on with her, and I think I've really messed up this situation really bad, and I need you to get up here and help me figure it out. And I said, well, what happened? Well, I went to see her, and I said, sis, can I talk to you? And she said, okay. And she said, I know you're scared. And she said, I'm so scared, Ricky. I made a mess of everything. I don't know what to do. And he said, oh, I know you're upset, but sis, God loves you. Now, Ricky had only been saved three weeks. God loves you. And she said, you think he does? He said, no, I know he does, because if he can save me, I know he can save you. Uh, you, you. And, and, and my life's been a wreck, but he's changing me. And then he looked at her and said, sis, you think you've sinned? She said, duh. <laughs> he said, did you know God can forgive you? I know he can. You see, this is all I know. I don't know the Bible very good, but I know this. Jesus Christ is God's son. And he came and he lived among us. And he died on a cross. And he paid for all of our sins, sis. And sis, all of his life was shed. His life's blood was shed so that we wouldn't have to go to hell, but we could go to heaven. And God raised him up from the dead. And he's alive today. And he'll forgive you of all your sins if you'll repent and trust in him. Turn back to God and he'll save you and forgive you. And that's all I know. But if you pray something like this, dear God, my life's a mess and I've sinned. Will you forgive me and come out of my life? And I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. And he said, Pastor, I know I screwed this up, didn't I? And I said, no, I think you're doing pretty good. And so uh, he said, well, what happened? I said, she prayed and she asked the Lord, but would you come and, come and straighten out all the mess maybe I've made? And I said, you know what? I wish more people would make that kind of mess. This is what God's doing. Divine appointments, they're all around us. I'm going to have to hurry. God has given us a message for all people. This message is for everyone. Peter came into Cornelius' house. They were all there. Cornelius, I love him. He just brings, he, not, he's, he knows about what time Peter's going to arrive. He gets all of his friends, all of his family members, all of his close associates. He must have lived in a big house. He has them all there. When Peter arrives, says, we're all waiting, man. He walks into the back room. It's filled with people. And he said, Peter said, well, why would you ask for me to come, <laughs> Peter? And so anyway, uh, a little bit slow, and then he tells him the story, and Peter realizes, and he says, God's taught me not to call anybody common or unclean. Peter now realizes what that vision was really all about. Peter looks at all of these Gentiles and he preaches the gospel to them and they are saved. It is the message for all people, for Jews and Gentiles. The word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so he preaches. He says, this message is for you. Folks, the message of the gospel is not about politics. The message of the gospel is not about social issues. The message of the gospel is not about cultural concerns. The message of the gospel is about the cross of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Number five, 
God saves through his power and by his glory. Peter's preaching and the sermon got interrupted because the people believed in Christ. The Spirit of God fell upon them and it began to be manifest that they had been received the Holy Spirit. And Peter looked and all those Jewish brothers from Joppa were going like, wow, Gentiles can be saved. And Peter said, how can we hold back water? if they've been baptized with the Spirit. And so immediately, they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Folks, believer's baptism is hugely important, but even baptism doesn't save you. It's the power of Almighty God that saves us. All of us who've believed should be baptized, but baptism doesn't save you. Amen. Finally, God reconciles all people by His grace. In verse 48, he says they were hearing them speaking tongues and exalting God. Verse 46, and he said, surely no one can refuse water for those who've been baptized who've received the Holy Spirit as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And they asked him to stay on for a few days, and he stays there. Then Peter makes his way to Jerusalem a few days later, and he starts being criticized by the Jewish crowd. Because he's hung out with Gentiles and eaten with them and stayed in their home. Peter tells him the story about his vision. He tells him the story about Cornelius' vision. He tells him the story about how he told him the gospel. He tells him the story about how the Holy Spirit fell. Whenever they were listening to that story, he says, Then God gave them the gift as he gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus. Who was I to hinder them, to stand in their way? When they heard this, the Jewish elders in Jerusalem quieted down and started glorifying God. And they said, well then, God's granted Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Hallelujah. That's me. That's you. He's thrown open the door. You're welcome. God's grace for you. You can be saved today and become a child of God. Hallelujah. That's the greatest news in all the world. Stand with me. Father in heaven. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.